in here? Oh my goodness. You know, it's hard to get around when you're packing a bunch of stuff with you. Man, I forgot some other things. I need some stuff. Oh, goodness. Oh, oh I need that too. Thank you. When you got packing around a lot of stuff, your day gets kind of mixed up and turned up and stuff like that. Hi. Sorry, I was... Got a lot going on. And, uh... Hi. I'm kind of tired. I'm breathing heavy and... You guys got one of these? How many people have these things? Got these? Anybody get one of those when you came in? Um, why don't you look in there for a minute? You'll, you'll find something like this in there. You see that? If you got one in your, in your bulletin, you actually should have two in there. I want you to hold it up and wave it at me. We, have a, we, 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 we are really blessed this morning because we, uh, this morning... Sitting over here in this section, the 9 a.m. service, we had two fully dressed and dress uniform Marines sitting kind of right over there. Bert Blevins and his wife, Samantha's, his wife, Samantha, were here, and her cousin, who was also a Marine, were here this morning with us, completely dressed to the hilt, and looked really awesome. And you know what? Sitting back on this side, next to the last pew, is Airman Justin Garner, here from Washington, D.C. today. Thank you. Justin, I know you know this already, but we pray for you continually and constantly and and all of our men who are serving overseas, we have quite a few who are involved in military service from this congregation, and we never cease to pray for you guys. Thank you. Thank you for your service. And, um, you know, they are servicemen, and they're involved in military operations, and they're equipped to do what they need to do. And we're trying to equip you to do what you need to do, and that's what this little postcard thing is all about. You may not know this, but as of this weekend... 3,500 of these were found in the advertiser packages going to every home pretty much in this northeast quadrant of Ross County surrounding Kingston, Adelphi, Hallsville, Laurelville, that area. 3,500 homes got these this weekend. They're in your bulletin because we want you to use them. These are weapons. Everybody say weapon. weapon. Say tool. tool. Say instrument. This is your part of playing your role as a member of Church Triumphant. We pray, hopefully, that sometime during the week, God will have you divinely at the right place, at the right time, talking to the right person who has need. And you know what? This thing just might come in handy. And as you're talking around the break table at work, there might be someone, oh, man, our family's so goofed up. And Really? Can I invite you to church? We're talking about family right now, and... I would love for you to come see us, and I'll even write my name here on this part, and if you want to ride, want picked up, I'll come pick you up and get you to church, and look, the, the, the website's there, the Funeral Union information, this is what we're talking about over the next three or four weeks, man, let me help you get those things ironed out. You can be a minister of the gospel, we're trying to make it easy for you. So please take it. This is your job. You've got homework this week. I know we're doing two services. Everything's different. Welcome to our very first 11 a.m. service. Thanks for coming. 
but now you have homework. Your job over the next week is to get rid of those two postcards. Find someone to and do not put them underneath the windshield wiper. Don't roll them up in the toilet paper roll at the restaurant and wait for it to fall out. Okay? Take this thing, make it a weapon, start a conversation with someone and invite them to come be a part of what God's doing. Get them the help that they need, all right? Oh, man, it's, it's heavy. Man, I, I got a question for you. Um, you know, we're talking about family. We're doing a fall for the family. I don't know if you guys get that up for me or not. Look at that. Um, look at, don't they look perfect? Isn't that just like when you think of a fall and you think of family? Isn't that kind of the picture that's in your mind? Isn't it? You know, I like to think about... How you guys are like TV trivia like people, you know what I mean? Anybody like that? Name for me some TV families you would like are like the perfect family. You know, like like if you could have lived in that home, you absolutely would have. Somebody name a couple for me. Father knows best. The Cleavers. This is spooky weird because those was like the first two that were mentioned in the first service, and those two weren't here in the first service. Ooh. The Jetsons. Alright. The Brady Bunch, all right, yes, huh? Happy Days, the Cunninghams, the Nelsons, yeah, um, Ozzy and Harriet, yes, huh? The, the Bunkers, that one didn't come up in the first one. The Hucks, that's one of my favorites. I li- How many of you guys like the Huxtables? Remember the Cosby show? I'm a child of the 80s, you know? I loved Cosby. He was like the dad that could defuse any tense situation. You know what I mean? He'd say something silly or stupid or do that thing with his face. And it just lightened everything. You know what I mean? I love Heathcliff Huxtable and Claire. Remember Claire? Another family I really liked. If I had named, how about the Ingalls family? Was not Charles Ingalls like the ultimate dad? I mean, he was manly, he did hard work, and he labored hard. But man, you knew he loved his kids, he loved his wife, and he could cry without even thinking it was impeding on his macho-ness, you know what I mean? Oh, I love Charles Ingalls. I, I remember coming out, you got to think this is weird. As a, as, a, as a middle school kid, I remember they used, to, they used to still do syndicated shows on regular TV back in those. Remember that? It wasn't news for three hours when you got home. It was like you got to watch syndicated TV programs. I can remember coming home from Smith Middle School, getting off the bus, and every day when I get off the bus, there would be Laura and Charles and Mary, Mr. Edwards. I got him wrong in the first, in the first you know. And I would sit and watch it. That may sound kind of weird, but I loved, I loved that show. That's weird. As a six or seven grade boy, I know it's kind of strange. I say, okay, he's weird. But that's okay. That's who I, I like them. And I, 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 another part of it is because I may sound prideful or something. Charles kind of reminded me of my, my, my dad. Honestly. I mean, he was my dad's. You, most of you know my dad's a very emotional guy. He works hard for his family. He, he just, and it was just like, man, I, I just love that. But you know what? That's TV land. For a lot of us, that's not real life. For a lot of us, that's not, we wanted that because that's not what we were experiencing or not what we had experienced. And so we'd be drawn to the TV to find out what that family was doing because it was like an escape. Am I right? What about the, the, the perfect family? Or 
the not-so-perfect family, maybe. We're going to look at a story in the Scripture about the baggage that can damage our families. About, hang on, I lost my thing. We're going to talk about some things that mess us up. Genesis, we're going to look at the book of Genesis today. We're looking at three chapters, verses 37, chapter 37, chapter 45, and chapter 50. Not the entire chapters, just selected portions. So if you want to get your Bible open and kind of get ready for that, you can. There's also a, a seat in the, in the bulletin that will help you follow along where I'm going. But let's talk about some things that are baggage. I got, I got some things in my bag here. That, let me see. Maybe this is some baggage some of you are carrying around. Maybe that's current in your family or was happening while you were growing up or maybe you know, you, you're still dealing with the effects of. Maybe some of you it might be physical abuse. There are scars that remain. Maybe some of you it's maybe there's, there's a lot of hatred around your house. Things weren't right and people were very hateful to one another. Maybe for some of you maybe Sexual abuse was something that was prevalent or had occurred, and you're packing stuff around. I sat and talked with Patrick and Leah last night. They're, they're, they're looking to adopt a baby. They're going through classes, and he talked about stories that were told to him by the lady teaching the classes about things that happened to kids, and it would just rip your stinking heart out of your chest. And I, I think, man, it's it's horrible. It's sad. We maybe some of you dealt with the problem where you just didn't feel accepted by your parents or us or a brother or a sister and no matter what you did it, it wasn't right you couldn't do anything up to speed or up to par you always had someone else to measure up to and you were never accepted on the basis of who you were you were basis, ba- accepted on the basis of something somebody else had done and you could never quite get there maybe at your house all that you saw maybe all that you see is just fighting and feuding and maybe some of you are still packing around the the baggage of divorce. Maybe some of you are going through a situation where divorce is just working right now and you don't know which ends up and what's going on and it's just heavy on you. Maybe some of you, maybe all you saw growing up from a, from a parent was anger and frustration and maybe it wasn't directly your deal. Maybe it was just things that they had suffered at the hands of their parents and they just didn't know how else to act. And it was anger. Man, I got, look at this other bed. Let's see what's in here. Maybe it was... Something like this. Let's see what's in this bag. Maybe some of you, your family was ripped to shreds by infidelity and betrayal. And maybe some of you are going through that right now and you're trying to figure out what end is up and what's going on. Maybe some of you were just verbally assaulted, verbally abused every day and you were just glad to be away from home and because you weren't spoken to appropriately or correctly. Maybe some of you, the thing you can remember, or thing maybe is going on right now is maybe there's a lot of alcoholism and drug abuse in your family, and you're like, oh, I just want to get away. I, I want to escape. And the memories you have are not good ones because of those things, and it just added to the anger and the hatred. Maybe some of you parents are dealing with something like this right now in your home. Maybe you've got a kid you just cannot keep together and help them make right decisions and it weighs on you morning and night, day and in and day out. And what can I do? And you're at the end of your rope. And how can I? Maybe some of you feel like no matter what happens in your family, there's just a, you're just being used 
and manipulated and you never know what's true and what's not because nothing's ever conveyed to you appropriately. There's like a ringing in my microphone. Can you, can you fix that? Um, a manipulation's going on. And, that, and then maybe it's just out and out deceit like nothing is what it seems to be and you're just, oh, that's heavy stuff, isn't it? That's a lot of weight, isn't it? We'll come to church sometimes and we'll paint on faces and make like everything's all right. And you know what? Today's not the day we act like that. Today's the day we get down to real life issues and we deal with real life struggles. Today's the day where we confront things that need to be confronted because our families hurt, because we hurt. You know, we think of the scripture sometimes. We look through the, through the scripture with religious eyes and religious filters. And we think, you know, well, that's because those people had the Lord working for them and he was doing miraculous things. And, you know, it's not like it is now. Think about these things that happened in the life of people in Scripture. Look, think of Cain and Abel. Here's some dysfunctional families. Think of Cain. The very first murder that ever takes place, recorded in history, is a murder of a brother toward another brother. That's pretty messed up, isn't it? Think of this next one. David and Absalom, father and son. Son tries to steal the kingdom right out underneath of his dad. That's pretty messed up. And in the middle of that story, you have the story of a half-brother raping a half-sister. And then her full brother kills the other half-brother. That's a lot of dysfunction, isn't it? How about Moses and Miriam and, 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 and Aaron? Moses is leading... And his, brothers and his brother and his sister are the ones who come against him and try and work against him. That's pretty messed up. Think about this. Jacob and Esau, one brother steals from a brother something that's rightfully his. And mom is involved in coming up with the conspiracy. That's like dysfunction to the nth degree, isn't it? Works against dad to do something that's appropriate. I mean, think about this. The Corinthian church, you've got a, 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 a man sleeping with the wife of his father. That's pretty messed up. Am I right? Think about Jacob with Leah and Rachel. This family was almost doomed from the get-go. Jacob, through the deceit of an uncle, has to work seven years for who he thinks is Rachel, finds out after the wedding night that it's not Rachel, it's Leah, has to work another seven years for Rachel, and they had to live in the same house together. You think it was pretty tense? I think it was probably pretty tense around that home. And on top of that, you add to that that Leah can have babies like nobody's business, and Rachel's like, okay, when am I going to get some? Let's just be real. That's how it was. And you can know they, they walked through the house, and Leah would walk through with all her babies, and Rachel would be like, And Jacob had to contend with that. Think about this for a second. Solomon, what was this guy thinking? 700 wives, 300 concubines in the same stinking house? Are you joking me? Woo! He needed help. That's the epitome of dysfunction. Look at this. Think about this. We know for sure in Scripture there are at least nine instances of incest recorded in Scripture. 
world in a little different perspective now? It's real life, real people with real problems. But it also talks about a real God with real grace, real mercy, real destiny, and real hope. You know what that means? There's hope for you. What I love about this story, you know what these people, every one of these people, you know what's awesome about these people? What they said to the Corinthian church? All of them are in the lineage of Jesus. These are Jesus' forefathers and ancestors. This is the family God chose to bring about the greatest gift and the most awesome opportunity of faith and hope ever the world would ever experience. He chose this messed up family. And you know what? He's not giving up on your family yet either. And no matter how long you've been packing trash, it makes no difference how long you've dealt with issues, he's not giving up yet. Is that awesome to think about? He's the good God. All the time, right? He's good. And all the time, if you guys are joining us for the first time, that's just a little thing we do every now and then. When I say God's good, you guys say all the time. When I say all the time, you say God's good. That's just how we operate, okay? So let's try it again, all right? God is good. And all the time? Excellent. You guys are right along with me. Let's look at another family, though, we've not yet talked about. Turn to Genesis chapter 37, if you're not already there. Let's talk about dysfunction for just a second. Verse 2 of Genesis 37 says this. I think it's funny. It says, the first words I read of the New King James Version is this. This is the history of Jacob. And then really for the next several chapters, it really doesn't say much about Jacob. It talks about the interaction of his sons towards each other. And he goes on to say, Joseph being 17 years old. Many of you parents sitting here right now are going, oh, dude, pray for Jacob, please. He's got a 17-year-old in his house. Oh, help him, Jesus. You know, he's got a teenager living there. I did youth ministry for, oh, boy. Started doing youth ministry in 1992 until 2006. That's all I really did with my life was do youth ministry. And so I relate. I know what it's like to deal with teenagers. But you know what? Kevin Lehman says, if you, if, you, if you need help with teenagers, we're offering a class on Wednesday nights. We're doing a whole campaign, Fall for the Family. We've got a class for parenting teenagers. We've got a class just for married couples. We've got a lot of families around here who are going through grief. We've got a grief thing going on at Jeanette's house at 7 o'clock on Wednesday evenings. It'd be good for you to be part of it. Bill's teaching a class on the course of the Lord just for basic, good, intense, deep Bible study right here. You know what? We need to help equip you guys be the families God wants you to be, and that's what that's about. Plus, we got Club 56 going on for the fifth and sixth graders. We got youth going on for the, for, the, for the teenagers. You're looking for answers about this. You can find them in the scripture. Here's what I like about this. It says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding his flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Keep adding more complication to the scenario. And Joseph brought a bad report to, of them to his father. Don't you all love a tattletale? We have, uh, one of our children tend to be that way. I won't name any names. I'll protect the innocent. Oh, they go, these kids. And every so often, they'll come running into the room. Dad, so-and-so did this and that, and we, did you know that their room is dirty? Don't you love that? Well, the other child's going. You know what I mean? So here's Joseph. He's adding fuel to the fire. He comes to his father, bringing a bad report on purpose. We'll learn maybe later that it probably wasn't just his fault. Maybe his dad put it up to him, put him up to it. 
And then we find out that dad really had some problems. Look at this. Verse 3 says, Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all of his children. Nothing like a good fatherly favoritism to add uh, fuel to the fire of dysfunction, is there? Some of you probably feel like you're on the bad end of that scenario. Maybe dad always had his favorite little, you know. You know what I mean? You guys have all been there. Maybe some of you right now are still dealing with that. Maybe your, your parents, even as adults, they treat you differently than they treat other family members and siblings. And you're like, oh, it makes me so sick. I just want to. Well, here's, 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 here's Jacob actually making it known that this, this boy right here, that's my boy. This is really my boy. He gave him a, a special gift. He wouldn't give the rest of his kids. He, he, he treated him with, 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 with better uh, uh, grace and all sorts of things. And so here we have, we have this dysfunction just growing and growing. And then because of that, the brothers naturally reciprocate. There's inner turmoil. Look at, look at verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, listen to these next words, they hated him, Joseph, and could not speak peaceably to him. Ooh, how many of you live in families like that? Huh? How many? Love is living families where the only things that are said are awful things, mean things, horrible things. And most of the time it's brothers and sisters. Sometimes it's parents to children or parents to one another's. Bickering and fighting, just, it was just, it, they could, do you hear what I'm saying? They could not. They were incapable of speaking peaceably to him. It wasn't, that they, it wasn't even that they wanted to, they just were not able to have a decent conversation. They could not communicate civilly. You ought to come back in about, oh, I forget which week it is, a couple, three weeks, we're going, is it next week? It's next week. We're talking about communication next week, so come back for that one. But here's this junk going on in this family. And then, some of this turmoil started before the brothers were even born. And we go back to the whole Rachel, Leah, messed up, you can have kids, I can't, I love her more than I love you. And this is, we've got a mess going on, don't we? we we've messed it up. And then we keep adding to the problem, it just keeps compounding. Verse 37, chapter 37, verse 14, we read these words. Then he said to him, said to Joseph, Jacob said to Joseph, please go and see if it's well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. He's saying, Joseph, go be a snitch, please. I know your brothers are up to no good. Go please check up on them, please. You ever heard Bill Cosby himself? He talks about the one child that's like the spy. Would you please go check on your father? Keep your father in line. Remember, his mom's got that one, that one child that will go and she sends them with any other kids or whatever to make sure things stay on an even keel. Remember? That's what, that's what Jacob was doing with Joseph. Just go check up on those boys. He had to know he was putting Joseph in such a bad predicament. He, he had to have known they, already, they could not speak peaceably to one another. And they, he keeps adding to it. And then a conspiracy is formulated and begins to be carried out. Look at verse... 18. Now, when they saw Joseph afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And verse 23 says, So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many collars, that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. How's that for being treated with warm brotherly love? And then Judah said in verse 26 and 27, 
What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. I started thinking about this this week. You know what? I think for the emotional distress we put on most people, I think they probably should have just killed him and got him over with. Think about this for just a second. They hate him. They've beaten him up. They've stripped him of his clothing. They've thrown him in a pit with no water, no food. And then this band of people from another culture come slinging by and they sell him. And then they intend to lie to their dad, tell him that some animal ate him and he's gone. That's an emotional bunch of junk to carry around, don't you think? I just think it's pretty intense. At this point, this family is shredded almost beyond repair. Verse 34 and 35 says, Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, mourned for his son many days, and all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, I will go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. But you know what? I love this because this is not the end of the story. Twelve years pass. Through a course of events, Joseph goes from being a slave to being the second in command of an entire nation, the nation of Egypt. God, through wisdom, gives Joseph insight that a famine is coming. He needs to stock up things and get them ready. And the whole region of the world is, is, is brought into this. And one day he finds his very brothers standing before him, wanting help, aid, because of the famine. And they don't know that it's Joseph. And right at this point, he has all the authority he needs to have them wiped out. They could be wiped off the face of the planet. Nobody in his court would give him any grief about it. He would not be, he would just be, I have spoken. I'm taking I have all authority. Boom, it's over. These guys are gone. But that's not how it ends. God at this point begins the restoration of this family. And there's like one key that begins the whole process. Let's find out what it is. What is the key that unlocked the door? the restoration for this family. The key, the big word, forgiveness. Right now, as I've been talking, holding up posters, talking about scenarios and situations and families, maybe right now in your mind, there's a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, an aunt, an uncle, I don't know, a grandma, a grandpa, who all of a sudden their face is like right here. You're like, oh, if I could, oh, why is he talking about this stuff? why I'm talking about this stuff today? Because God only wants to extend forgiveness to you. He wants to extend forgiveness through you. Here's Joseph. He'd already come to grips with his own issues, his own anger, his own wrath, his own malice. He kept his heart pure before the Lord. His brothers stand before him. He can have them destroyed right there. You know what he chooses? He chooses a higher route. Not to repay forgive. Verse 3 of Genesis 45 says these words. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I can't imagine the, the, ang the, the anxiety that went through these men. Does my father still live? But his, fathers, but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to the brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. I bet you could hear a pin drop in that courtroom. 
listen to these next words. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. The very first thing Joseph does to unlock forgiveness and unlock restoration is he he releases the guilty. He says, don't be grieved because of what you've done to me. God has this all under control. He's taken good care of me. He's kept my heart right. And right now, I, 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 I release you from that. Do not be grieved with yourselves. He says, I'm not grieved. Look at the next. He says, and God sent me before to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And so it was not you who sent me, but God. The next thing he does, he causes there to be a reconnection of affection. Look at verse 14 and 15. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his. This was not a big deal. You know why? Because Benjamin is his youngest brother. He wasn't involved in this whole conspiracy. So right now, this is okay. He and Benjamin are still buds and probably have never had animosity or frustration towards one another. They're, the, they're, they're, they're uh, sons of the same mother, and so they've they got, they got it going on. But the next verse is particularly profound. Look at this. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers, all of his brothers and wept over them. Out of that, his brothers talked with him. Just a few chapters earlier, they couldn't even have a civil conversation. And suddenly, we find them in this court where he's the guy in charge. They're conversing and talking and hugging and kissing. Only God could do that. Only God could bring that about. Only God could make that happen through a man whose heart was tender and soft towards him, whose the work of the Holy Spirit was at work in. Only God could do that. And then he goes even further. In Genesis chapter 50, we'll find some other things. He reaches beyond the pain. Verse 19 of Genesis 50 says, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. Am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for... Bring it up. Let's start over. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Listen to these next words. Now, therefore, do not be afraid... I will provide for you and your little ones. This, these brothers who had kicked him to the curb, stripped of everything he owned, threw him into a pit, threw him into slavery. He says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to stop with you. I'm going to take care of your entire families. I'm going to reach beyond my pain into your need. And I'm going to make something happen. Wow! Is that awesome? Some of you are like, some of you have been like two like, like siblings in a house. We've had this altercation with our, with our daughters before. They get into a fight. They do something silly. She took my stuff. They start fighting and scrapping and pulling hair, different things like that. Tell your sister you're sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. You know the look and the rolling of the eyes? I'm sorry. And you know you've been supposed to forgive, but you're kind of not that way with God. Okay. If I have to, ah, kiss and make up. Oh, my goodness. But Joseph goes way beyond that, man. He reaches in out of his good, out of the things God provided him. He says, listen, I'll provide for your need. I will, not only will I forgive you, I will help you. Let's get on with life together. Uh, is that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Here's the thing. This is like the golden rule. Some of you have mistranslated the golden rule. Do unto others as they have done unto you. Or some of you have translated it this way. 
Do unto others before they do unto you. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Don't do unto them the way they did unto you. Don't do unto them because they're gonna, they have done unto you. Do unto them as you would have them do, as you, you would have them do to you. You get it? That's what Joseph does. This is how I would have wanted to be treated, he says. Treat me, the, let me treat you this way. Oh, and it breaks down the wall and it puts a family back together. Is that awesome? Here's what I want to tell you. You may not have the power to do that. God is, is working with you. He wants to help you. Get past that. Your obligation, if you're a Christian here today, you're obligated to forgive. Do you know that? This is not optional. You have no choice. You have... What are you saying? I'm in sin? That's eh, pretty much. But you know what? It's not about you. Maybe right now thinking you don't have the power to forgive something that evil and awful that happens to you as a result of a family member or something. But you know what? That's not... God will empower you to get over that. Think about these words of Jesus. Jesus is hanging on a cross. This is the hallmark thing about the gospel is forgiveness. Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's been beaten. He's been striped. He's been hung on a, with, with nine-inch nails. He's had a, a crown of thorns on his head. He's been, he's been his beard plucked out. He's been spat upon, all for no good reason because he didn't do anything to deserve all that. And he hangs on the cross naked before everybody, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is that powerful? Is that awesome? That very thing is what has enabled each one of us to be in this room today. That very thing. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is the central message of the gospel. The Bible says also, 1 John, If we say we haven't sinned, we're a liar. And so we've sinned anyway. And yet His love and His blood covers our sin. Another thing it says is not forgetting others hinders our relationship with God. Matthew 6, 14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive them their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ooh. That's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Think of this. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Satan takes advantage where lack of forgiveness is prevalent. Now whom you forgive, 2 Corinthians 2, 10 says, I also forgive, Paul writes as a leader in the church, as an apostle. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sake in the presence of Christ. Now looking for his reason forget for forgiving. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are ignorant. We are not ignorant of his devices. He knows that, Paul said, we know that's how Satan entraps all of us with unforgiveness and bitterness. I told the crowd earlier this morning, I can remember one time a couple years ago, Pastor Eric had Jim Hedinger put, a, put a, a, a saying out on the sign out in front of the church. And it said this, Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and realizing that the prisoner was you. See, when we hold something against somebody, the one who's caged up is not the person we're angry with. It's not the person we've, we've chosen to, to, to act in, in unforgiveness towards. The real person who's entrapped and entangled with garbage is the person who's holding all the stuff in. Satan has taken advantage of you. He's trapped you in a cage. Good next when we forgive, we sow seeds of forgiveness to be harvested when we need it later. Luke 6.37 says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put to your bosom. For the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. 
So if you want forgiveness later in life, my suggestion would be to you to find that person you're holding something against today and begin the process of restoration. Release them of their guilt. Reestablish a, 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 a connection of affection. And then reach beyond your pain to help them meet some need that they have. And when, it, when, when you need it, they'll be there waiting for you. Is that good? It's proactive. It's for you. Let's talk about one other thing. We have a ministry of reconciliation. We're commanded to forgive. Peter, as we follow Christ, we've been commanded to... Peter asked Jesus, Lord, shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? If I, if, how often... Let me start again. How often shall I, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus says to him in verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven times. Out of the rec- reconciliation we have received, we should also seek to reconcile others to ourselves, most importantly to God. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now listen to this, has given us the ministry of recon- reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. See, God didn't hold things against us, and so God says, don't hold anything against others. I'm giving you a ministry. This is an opportunity for ministry to take place. Some of you have some family members you've been praying for for a long time. They're, 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 they're evil, they're nasty, they do all sorts of crazy things. And you're like, how do I reach out to them? And in your heart, you're holding things against them. One of the greatest tools you'll ever have is extending a hand of forgiveness towards them. And say, you know what? What, what happened so many years ago, I've let go of. This process for Je- Joseph was a 12-year process. It just didn't happen overnight. He had an opportunity to let this anger and frustration build on him for 12 years. But you know what? He had dealt with it before the guys ever got there. He had no idea that he'd ever see them ever again. And you know what? His heart was already right. He'd already said, God, I've let that go. I know that. And that's why it was so easy for him just just to release them. Because you know what? Before they ever got there, his heart had been dealt with. Today, in this place, we're going to talk about some very practical things over the next three weeks. We're going to talk about communication. We're going to talk about finances, how it affects families. We're going to talk about um, discipline and things of that nature, how it affects families. But you know what? Before we get to the practical side of things, we have got to deal with the emotional and spiritual side of things because if your heart is not right, all the communication in the world is not going to make a lot of difference. All the, the, the financial help you can ever receive is not going to make a lot of difference. Discipline your children in the right way is not going to make a difference because you're still packing around trash. And that's where we start today. If you would, please stand with me.